One day, uh, Herman and Clara were driving along in their bright new shiny car. And Clara spoke up and said, you know, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we probably wouldn't have this wonderful car. And Herman just kind of kept on driving and didn't say a word. Pulled into the driveway and uh, Herman turned off the engine and they both kind of quietly admired their house. And Clara said, you know, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we probably wouldn't have this house. And Herman just sat there and didn't say a word. That afternoon, a delivery truck pulled into their driveway and the, and the men brought out this beautiful Steinway grand piano. They got it into the living room and uh, Herman and Clara were looking at that. And Clara said, you know, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't be able to enjoy this wonderful piano. And once more, Herman just sat there and didn't say a word. Later that night, Herman and Clara prepared to go to bed, and as they pulled up the covers on the bed, Clara paused, and then in a reflective mood said, as you know, well, actually, you know, Sir Herman, that if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't have that dresser over there, we wouldn't have the corner table over there, and we wouldn't have this warm, comfortable bed. And with that, Poor Herman turned to Clara and said, I don't want to hurt your feelings, honey. But you know, just like the car, the, the house, the piano, the dresser, the table, and this bed, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here either. <laughs> Where would we be if it weren't for money? Whether we're talking about our own money or somebody else's money, that's an important question. But even a more important question is this. Where are we with our money? That is, how do we relate to it? What's our attitude towards it? It doesn't take James long to introduce this topic in his letter. This topic is in the very first chapter. And he does so in talking about life's trials. Now, that seems to fit, doesn't it? Because it seems like so many of the trials in life that we face has something to do with money or the lack thereof. Whether we have a lot or a little, it can be the source of a lot of anxiety and worry, stress, a true test of our faith. Now, most of the believers to whom James was writing were dirt poor, they were suffering from economic oppression because of their faith. But there were a few others who were very well off. They were doing just fine, and they tended to take pride in their riches, thinking that they were somehow better or more deserving than other people. Well, James, in this first chapter, addresses both groups, the poor and the humble and uh, the rich, the proud rich. And so he says, and so we read, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. 
but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. So, James begins with a word of encouragement to those who are poor, reminding them that though they may not have much in the terms of worldly wealth, they are nevertheless of great worth to God. Their fundamental dignity as children of God is not tied to how much or how little they have, and and so they are exalted in God's eyes. God cares about poor people. But then James immediately directs his attention to the rich and issues a word of warning. Again, we read, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, lest you think that you and I are off the hook here, when James talks about rich folks, hold on a minute, because you know what? We're actually all pretty rich. I mean, compared to the rest of the world, you and I live like kings and queens. I mean, we are living better nowadays than the Vanderbilts, you know, way back when. But whether we consider ourselves rich, you know, it's all relative, you know. I I doubt there are very few people here who who would call themselves rich. It's all relative. But whether we consider ourselves rich or we feel like we're just barely surviving, the fact is we all have money and we all need to use it. And therefore, we all need to heed what James has to say. It's not how much we have, but how we relate to it that counts. And James would have us remember the most important thing in this regard. This is really the point of the sermon this morning. We dare not base our ultimate security in money, in our wealth. Because if we do, we are bound to be disappointed. The riches of this world will fade away. James draws a vivid picture uh, that would have been very familiar to people living in Palestine in the desert, you know, when when there's a rain shower, little thin green shoots of grass will come up, yet one day's burning, scorching sunshine will make them vanish as if they had never been. So James is saying that as the grass and the flower wilt and their beauty comes to an end with the scorching sun, so will the rich fade away even while they go about their business. Riches and rich people just aren't going to last. And Jesus makes essentially the same point in the Sermon on the Mount, about, makes a point about fading riches. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Life is so uncertain 
And actually, so is our wealth. I mean, calamity and disaster could come at us at any moment. Our investments could go south. The stock market may crash. There may be some unseen black swan events that could wipe us out. And since that is so, you and I would be a fool to put all of our trust in our wealth, in our money. But it's so easy, isn't it, to trust in our riches, to trust in our bank account. R.C. Sproul said, the hardest thing about being a Christian is believing in a God you can't see. But we can see the bottom line. The bank statement seems a lot more real and a lot more here and now than God so often does. And it's possible that you and I can become so dependent upon money, thinking it's the answer to all our problems, that we do not rely on God. And this is what's called the arrogance of riches. Who needs God when He can take out your checkbook and solve all your problems, take care of your every need? No wonder Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Frederick Frederick Buechner is a guy that I quote a lot because I like his writing. He's a Presbyterian minister and a novelist. says this, he says, and I think he's on, he says, the trouble with being rich is that since you can solve with your checkbook virtually all the practical problems that bedevil ordinary people, you are left in your leisure with nothing but the great human problems to contend with, how to be happy, how to love and be loved, how to find meaning and purpose in life. In desperation, the rich are continually tempted to believe that they can solve these problems too with their checkbooks, which is presumably what led Jesus to remark one day, That for a rich man to get to heaven is about as easy as for a Cadillac to go through a revolving door. It's true, isn't it? Having money can make people feel safe, to feel that they have the resources to cope with anything that comes their way, to buy themselves out of any kind of predicament. But you know what? They're only fooling themselves because money doesn't repair relationships, doesn't guarantee your health, doesn't supply a meaning and purpose that satisfies. It doesn't necessarily buy happiness. And we all know that, of course. We know it intellectually, but I think we have a hard time believing that. In 1923, a very important meeting was held at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago, and uh, this was a group, they were discussing economics, and this was a group of the, the leading men in the financial world. There were nine of them. And those present were the president of the largest independent steel company, the president of the largest utility company, the president of the largest gas company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest stockbroker, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, and the president of the Bank of International Settlements. I mean, these were important people group of the world's most successful people. They had all the money in the world. But then you look at them 25 years later. What became of them? Well, the president of the largest independent stock company, Charles Schwab, died bankrupt and lived on borrowed money for five years before his death. The president of the largest utility company, Samuel Insull, died a fugitive from justice and penniless in a foreign land. The president of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson, went insane. 
The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cotton, died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, was released from Sing Sing Penitentiary. And the member of the president's cabinet, Albert, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear on Wall Street, Jesse Larimore, died a suicide. And the president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Fazer, died a suicide. So much for money buying happiness, right? I mean, it's amazing. All those men came to such a horrible end. The sad story. Riches cannot save us. They can't save us. Only God can do that. And yet we have a tendency to hold on to our wealth for dear life. And we worship regularly at its altar. In fact, I would dare say that money is probably our favorite idol. It's the easiest to latch on to, and it's the hardest to let go of. Uh, when they excavated uh, the city of Pompeii, you know, that ancient city in Italy, they recovered a body that had been embalmed by the ashes, uh, you know, from the explosion of Mount Vesuvius. And uh, here's what they found. Because the ash was so hot, it almost perfectly preserved the body. And what they found was a body of a woman whose, whose feet were headed towards the city gates, you know, to run away from the oncoming lava. But her body and her face were turned backward, and so too were her hands reaching for something. Well, what was she reaching for? Well, it was a bag of pearls. Whether she dropped them or somebody else had dropped them, death was at her heels. And all she could think about were the fading riches of this world. She was unwilling to let go of her idol. Hard to let go of our money, hard to let go of our possessions. I remember reading in the newspaper about uh, a plane that came down rather abruptly. It was kind of an emergency situation, and it was time for the passengers to evacuate, you know, to get out of the plane as quickly as possible. Do you know that everybody reached for the cabinet above <laughs> and try and get their stuff? And actually, because of that, people had trouble getting out of the airplane. Here are the imminent threat of calamity, of perhaps even of death, and here they are reaching for their stuff. That's kind of a parable, isn't it? A parable of life. So here's the basic question we must ask ourselves this morning. In what or in whom do we place our ultimate trust? It's kind of ironic, right? Uh, on the dollar bill, is it in God we trust? On a dollar bill? <laughs> Maybe there's a, there's a reminder there, right there on, the, on our money. I just thought of that, actually. In God we trust? Really? Where does our true security lie? 
James reminds us that only God is worthy of our ultimate trust. In Him we have an inheritance that will not fade or spoil or corrode, not subject to, to the, the stealing of thieves. James speaks of riches, spiritual riches that last. They are eternal, what Jesus calls treasures in heaven, and what James calls the crown of life. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. In ancient times, a laurel wreath would be placed on the winner of an athletic contest, and that, that laurel wreath would signify victory and joy and honor. So that James is encouraging you and me to seek that crown, the crown of life, yes, really the gift of eternal life, that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. He is urging you and me to live with a heavenly vision rather than with a worldly one, to live our life through the eyes of Christ. James wants us to be, to use that athletic image, he's, he's encouraging us to run this, run this race that is life, like, kind of like a marathon, keeping your eyes on the goal, keeping your eyes on Jesus and all the blessings we have in knowing Him so that we might truly win in life. Because the goal in life is not, you know, whoever has the most toys wins, Whoever has the most bank account wins. The goal is to become like Christ. That's it. That He might shape our character so that we look more like Him. But you know, sometimes we'll die for our idol. I mean, we'll work ourselves to death. For what? Can't take it with you, remember? As the old saying goes, when I like, there are no luggage racks on a hearse. There are no pockets in a shroud. It's all about, you see, being rich towards God, sharing His victory over sin and death, experiencing His joy and His peace even in the midst of life's trials Yet even when those trials concern so often money or the lack of it, Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our ultimate devotion and the source of true security in this life and in the life to come. No matter what happens, no matter what calamity may befall us, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death itself. Put your trust in Him. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He is always true 
to His promises. Again, He is worthy of your ultimate devotion. And as I close, I want to give you a bit of practical advice. Advice which, which is very true, I believe, to the spirit of James, for his letter is all about putting our faith into practice. If you want to break the stranglehold of money on your life, you know, if you want to stop worshiping at its altar, learn to give money away. Practice the grace of giving. Work on being generous. Because every time we give to a cause that matters, to a kingdom cause, whenever we give, we loosen money's grip on our life. We loosen the ties that bind us so tightly to it as though our money is the most important thing in life, and we know it's not. And to remind yourself of that, learn to give things away, to give your wealth away, to use it for God's glory and for God's kingdom. That's a great privilege of people who happen to have money, right? Work on being generous. And uh, to those of you, uh, who are younger folks, you know, uh, chances are your bank account's not very huge. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, it's all you can do to try you know, get into college or whatever, and you know, all that stuff. Um, and you're just starting out, right, in your, in your life, and you're trying to figure out what, what God's calling you to do. But I'll tell you this, don't make the pursuit of money the main thing, okay? Don't make it the main thing. Um... Uh, yeah, you need money. It's, it's great to have a good living. But if you really want to be happy and be successful in life, give yourself day by day to Christ. Allow Him to shape your character. Do stuff that matters, that makes a difference in people's lives, that makes a difference in the world. It's not all about the money because riches are going to fade away and we all have to leave it in the end. And besides, you know what? When we give money away, it makes us feel good. And there's nothing, with, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's okay to feel good about giving. It should make us feel good. One of my favorite hymns uh, is, uh, comes, it's an Irish hymn. It's called Be Thou My Vision. And uh, it's based on an 8th century Irish prayer. I mean, this, that song goes way back. I don't know if you know the tune or not, but one of the verses struck me. And, and may this be our prayer, where the, 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 the hymnist says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Make that your prayer today and the days ahead, especially when you find yourself worrying about money. 
and put yourself in the hands of God. Trust Him. Amen.